One of my favorite side things to do around the parish is giving art and architectural tours of our building. At first glance, our church might seem kind of simple or plain, but if you spend time to get to know her, you find out there's an, a lot that's going on here. So if you ever get a group of people together who want to tour, call me up and let me know, and also let me know how much time you have, because even rushing, I can take two hours. So. One of my favorite windows is over here in the sanctuary. I realize a lot of you over here can't see it. Maybe you can sneak up here later and take a look at this window. It's a St. Michael window. So St. Michael's in the middle, and he's surrounded by a bunch of other angels who are celebrating. Uh, some of them have the objects of Christ's passion over which he uh, was victorious, and other things of the victorious wreath and incense. And in the middle, you have St. Michael, the archangel, holding up the scales of justice. And in his hand, he has the flaming sword of expulsion. I love that. It's like he's a superhero, like Thor with his hammer, right? And he's got it up over his head like this, as if he just took a mighty swing with it, right? Because he has. In the bottom of the window, we see these flames coming up, right? And you see just the tips of another angel's wings who's going down into the flames. This is uh, Satan being consigned to the netherworld, thrown out of heaven by Saint Michael with his mighty flaming sword of expulsion. So this past week, I was reading a book that said something that now to me seems quite obvious, but I'd never really thought about it before. Lucifer is thrown out of heaven for what would be considered a most serious sin, disobedience. I will not serve. Pride. That this is the pinnacle of sin makes sense for at least two reasons. First is Lucifer was an angel, right? And therefore he did not have a body, he's a spiritual being. And so it was not open to many of the temptations that you and I are open to because of our bodies. And since he is a creature of a higher order, the particular sin to which we are also open is also of a higher order. Secondly, we can understand then that this is a worse sin than the temptation of the eyes or the flesh and greater than avarice and love of riches and luxury. Disobedience is a disorder of our higher self and therefore governs all the other sins. It is the devil's sin. So rightful obedience is a pretty serious matter. And obedience is also something our nation is pretty much based on trying to avoid. Our culture is obedience adverse and is only accept acceptable in the gravest of circumstances and when it is absolutely necessary. But the truth is, everybody is obedient to someone or something. It's kind of like people who want to belong to a church without a pope. Every church has a pope. From your standalone storefront startup to national Protestant denomination, there's always some body or some body that says, scripture means this and not this. Faith requires this and not this. So everybody has a pope. We're just a little bit more honest about it. And in the same way, everybody is obedient to someone or something. The question is, 
To whom are you obedient? The problem is not obedience. It is a necessity for living, to get along as a culture. The real question is, are you obedient to that which enslaves you or that which sets you free? Much of what the confessional is about is freeing people from the type of obedience that enslaves them, from obedience that takes away a person's freedom, from growth into the most noble version of ourselves, from reaching our potential. The most troubling end of this is addiction. Addictions tend not to kill, but to use a person as a host so that it can grow and breed and expand expand at the expense of the person it inhabits. It's the perverse version of John the Baptist saying of Jesus, I must decrease and he must increase. To the addict is the addiction must increase and I must decrease even against my very will. Others are slaves to their emotions or peer pressure, the desire to have, maybe obedient to a controlling person or fear or pride or even an ideology. Have have you ever sat down with a friend? There's a friend of mine. Every once in a while, he gets an idea that just possesses him and we'll be sitting at breakfast and it'll just pour out of him and he gets this voice and a serious look and he leans across the table and gets really close and it's more you can tell it's more of a passion it took over its personality right it's this idea that i'm encountering rather than a person anything that uses a person to extend itself and not the person is that to which you are a slave But there is a type of obedience that leads to freedom. We all know this, even when we hate knowing it. For example, there is obedience to the doctor's orders. Eat better, exercise, get enough sleep, wash your hands, get a flu shot. Obedience to your doctor gives you health and then allows you to live in freedom more. There's obedience to your car mechanic. Get an oil change, replace your tires, check your battery. Obedience to your mechanic gives you a better chance of freedom, of mobility. Obedience to rules of civility, you're following a whole bunch of them right now. We've all agreed to sit quietly facing this way so we can have conversation. We all agree to keep our clothes on. This type of obedience leads to greater freedom. We can do this because we believe in obedience. Today, Paul declares himself, brags that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. What he means is that he's given himself over completely to Christ, whose great desire is to give Paul and every human being, every human person, the freedom to become the most healthy, fruitful version of themselves that they can be. It's like trimming an apple tree. We don't trim an apple tree just to control it. We do it so that it can become the most healthy, fruitful version of itself. So it doesn't have limbs rubbing against each other or the canopy becomes so dark the fruit can't get the light or you have the sucker branches that just absorbs the energy out of the tree, right? It goes from becoming just a common tree in a field to something that gives life and joy and fruit. We see Joseph today struggling with his earthly options. 
to what was he going to be obedient? There was that which was acceptable, that which was legal and probably culturally expected, which would have just made him common, average. He would have been like everybody else. And then there was the prompting of God. When God is prompting your heart, something special has the potential of happening. And God was calling him to something that rose above his options, something good and true and beautiful. There was obedience to God. Joseph, I'm calling to you, calling you to something unique, to something scary because it's unique, but something wonderful. And in that obedience, he reached such a high level of his own potential that today, 2,000 years later, all around the world, we're still talking about him. We have told his story and held him up as a spectacular model. How many of his peers of his days that you know of who were happy just going along with getting along? The only one we recall is the only free man, the truly free man who came to mind. In a very few days, hours, we will begin our nativity celebrations, which you can tell by our advent wreath. I'm very glad that Christmas is closer this year because I'm not sure that first candle would make it a whole nother week. <laughs> it's gonna be incredibly busy for you at work, socially, liturgically, probably traveling. What will receive your first obedience? It should be that which brings you life and love and joy, forgiveness, salvation, and peace. And to be clear, it's not blind obedience. There's that passage in Ephesians that always is so controversial, and you know it. Wives, be subordinate to your husband. It's like passing gas in a crowded room. Nobody wants to claim it, and everyone walks away. But it's there. Never mind that the passage begins with be subordinate to one another and then later on tells husbands you've got a lot of work in this too. But it says something that we don't like this passage. Because to what are we supposed to be subordinate? We're to be subordinate to that which brings unity, harmony, growth, love, and life, a relationship that brings life, and not just any life, but life that is a symbol of your love into the world. If we understood that was the thing to which we were supposed to be obedient to each other, we'd say, okay, sign me up. And that is why it's not about, it's not about figuring out how to fit God into our lives, but how to fit our lives into God. It's not about finding a place for the crib of Christ in our home. It's about going to his crib and kneeling down before him who deserves our first obedience. For it is then that we find the most freedom to become everything that a son or daughter of God has the potential to be.